This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. For more audiobooks and other content, please visit reconstructionistradio.com. Book title: Church Shift. Author: Sunday Adelijah. Published by Charisma House. Copyright: 2008. Narrated by Jason Garwood. Chapter 10: Imposing the Kingdom on the Culture. In Ukraine, we have relied on three practical principles that have given our efforts great effectiveness. These basic principles can transform you and every believer into a kingdom powerhouse. Teach His Principles In five years, two million people have come to Christ at the altar of our church. We thank God that we are being used to win the lost. But the truly amazing thing is that this has not taken place through evangelism, crusades, or traditional methods of sharing the gospel. Rather, people have come to the church and come to Christ because of the example of many thousands of Christians putting kingdom principles to work outside of the church. The heart of our discovery is that you don't need to promote religion or church for people to want to come to Christ. Rather, kingdom principles will draw people. You don't even have to mention anything spiritual or religious. In fact, it's sometimes better not to. When you take God's principles into society, they simply work. They draw attention, and people begin to inspect who you are, what motivates you, and what is the philosophy behind your work. Then they discover the kingdom within you, and they become convinced of its truth because they've seen it in action. Here's how it worked with us. The very first program we launched in our church was aimed at helping drug addicts, alcoholics, and the homeless. To get our message into secular venues like public schools, hospitals, and government institutions, we decided to present it in a way to emphasize the principles, not the God behind the principles. We knew the government would never let us into schools if we were waving our Bibles and calling on the name of Jesus. So a woman who was rescued from years of drug addiction and prostitution analyzed the problems of addiction and prostitution, and wrote a curriculum based on kingdom principles without expressly mentioning God. Public schools allowed her in to share her personal story and to tell students how to avoid falling into such awful traps. She did not preach. She simply taught kingdom principles like integrity, respect, honesty, and so on. The presentation was so successful that schools invited her back many times and she began to write other programs aimed at helping students withstand peer pressure and abstain from premarital sex. From a church perspective, you might say she was teaching holiness in the public schools. But the schools saw it as teaching integrity and respect for fellow human beings. Fine. She was willing to come from their perspective so she could introduce kingdom principles into a setting where a church would never be welcome. This one woman, the former drug addict and prostitute, has since come up with 30 or so programs that have been adopted by public school systems and the Ministry of Education. Students prefer to attend her presentations instead of going to class. Every week, this person who never finished high school reaches more people than all the churches in our city put together. We saw through her experience that principles unite, but religiosity divides. If I come asking to share about Christ, they won't let me in. But if I say I can help your students be less violent, they welcome me. This is in no way denying God. God is only committed to His Word, which holds His principles. He is not committed to religion or to our particular expression of it. See Psalm 138, verse 2. 
For that reason, it's far better to emphasize the integrity of God's kingdom principles and patterns rather than the spirituality of your particular Christian experience. As great as experiences and rituals and manifestations of the Holy Spirit are in our walk with Christ, God has exalted His principles above them. You don't need to bring prayer to schools. You don't need to lay hands on people and pray for them. You don't need to hand out leaflets inviting people to youth group meetings or evangelistic crusades. You can bring kingdom principles to the public sphere in a secular package and receive a far wider hearing. When students stop being violent and stop having children as teenagers, the schools will clamor to have you back. Create Models One of the main activities in our church is the creation of these kinds of programs for societal problems. I often ask for a show of hands during our church services from people who are concerned or knowledgeable about different problems facing our country. People raise their hands and I ask them to form a committee on the spot. They meet later, write a program, and put it to work. If it's a program to help the jobless, they go to where the jobless are. If it's to help high school students, they go to the high schools. They take the knowledge they have from experience or training and combine it with knowledge of kingdom principles to come up with dynamic solutions. Then they try out the program or presentation in a limited venue to give it a trial run. The success of that trial run becomes a source of boldness to present it to the whole nation. Their small program blooms into a movement that offers a proven solution to a problem. Along the way, they register as an organization or charity and become more established and recognized. They gradually become a social force. Soon they are lobbying for kingdom principles in a bigger way than they probably imagined when they first teamed up. Because they are alleviating common social problems, their program receives praise and renown even among non-Christians. Our members have now started 3,000 non-government organizations. People in our church have written programs to address smoking, teenage pregnancy, drinking, and much more. Each program helps people to be restored to normal society. At our feeding centers, we have lawyers who help people straighten out their documents of citizenship if they are not in order. This establishes them in normal society often for the first time. If they need physical rehabilitation or medical help, we guide them to the right places. People know that every hopeless situation is addressed in our church. For example, our people have started a program to help street children. This has rehabilitated 500 children in its first decade, returning some to their families. Our Healthy Lifestyles program, which is taught to students in Kiev high schools, teaches young people to discover their purpose and to live responsibly. The program involves parents and teachers as well, promoting a complete solution. Having organizations that serve society is one of the main reasons our church has grown so quickly. God has given us an exalted position in our country. Though the government for years tried to poison people's minds against us, we have won the battle because most people in the country now have friends or relatives who have been helped by people from our church. Their personal experience trumps the rumors and lies and strengthens our position in society. The reformation we are experiencing in Ukraine couldn't have been possible without the creation of social organizations founded by Christians. Such organizations give God room to move in the society without giving the government opportunity to clamp down on the church. The government cannot speak against what we are doing because the programs are secular in their approach 
though they are, in fact, based solidly on kingdom principles. As you begin to think of what you might do to change society, remember that God is the solution, but it's okay to present the solution in the way you are allowed, which means emphasizing the principles, not spirituality. You are God's representative. Just by being in a place, God is there. You have the anointing and the kingdom answers. Bring it to people in a way you are allowed to. Don't deny them kingdom answers just because you can't speak the name of Jesus. Eventually, kingdom principles will dethrone the kingdom of darkness, like the mustard plant that crowds out other plants. But every big goal starts out small. You start by doing what you can. Give it time to spread simply and naturally through you. By creating models for solving social problems, you inspire others to do the same. Today in our church, people own social problems. We identify with our nation as Moses did. We take personal responsibility for its ills. For example, Ukraine has a drug problem. Our people no longer see it as a government problem, but as our problem. These are our brothers and sisters who are suffering. It is our nation that is paying the price. We are the salt of the earth. If we don't solve the problem, it won't get solved. This is true of the homeless problem, corruption, violence, pornography, and much more. Instead of bemoaning the state of our nation, we take responsibility, create programs, register organizations, and start a movement. We are bold enough to believe we are the answer to every problem. That is our evangelism. As a side effect of our efforts, people follow us to church to find the source of our answers. There they find the total solution to their total problem when they meet Jesus and begin living for him. Our people have also moved into the political realm because they know that legislation sets the tone and standard for a nation. People from our church lobby the parliament more than any single church. They promote laws against things like public advertisements of pornography, smoking, and drinking. Ukraine is in a particularly important historical moment. When communism fell, it turned every vice loose in our country. Everybody wanted to try everything that had been banned before. It was difficult to preach to people. After years of living under the thumb of Moscow, they didn't want any more restrictions. But that is changing, and people are recognizing the need for boundaries in behavior. Today, members of our church have indirectly written 140 bills for Parliament including a recent law limiting pornography. The church needs to use the power it has. God is dissatisfied with our church-minded approach. He created everything, and he wants his principles to rule everywhere. That is your assignment. If you feel called to, say, help homeless people, but don't have the guts to start a program yourself, go serve in another man's organization. But in any case, do it. Own the problem and own the solution. Creating social organizations and becoming a force in society has another helpful side effect. It protects you from government harassment. Ukraine's governments tried to shut down our church in the past, but when we began owning social problems and providing solutions, it made it much more difficult for them to come against us. Suddenly, our people were popping up everywhere, in parliament, in public schools, at homeless shelters, in business. When believers occupy every sphere of life, the government can't do much. So by promoting kingdom principles, we also keep our foot in the door of power, lest the door close. And doors do close unexpectedly. If you don't keep flexing your muscle, you may get pushed back. 
I'm convinced that Christians worldwide occupy less than 1% of the positions in society that God has called us to. I was in the United States recently, and during a break in my schedule, I was watching Dr. Phil, Montel Williams, and Oprah. I wondered, are those talk show hosts occupying what should be Christian assignments? These shows raise important topics and stir people up. But Christians have answers. We are kingdom people. We know how this earth is supposed to work. We can bring people to the light. We bring problems to the surface in order to bring truth to bear on it. Some people are building their own empires and bank accounts on the backs of people's problems, but they offer nothing in return. Because Christians have abandoned valid areas of societal concerns, others rush in. We need to see every position of influence in society as a Christian assignment. We must be more creative, more innovative, more excellent than anyone else. That leads me to the next practical principle of success. Organize. Every little idea or inspiration can grow into something big if you know how to care for it. It depends heavily on your organizational skill and your ability to pay attention to small things. Let me point out how Jesus operated. Quote, Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. End quote. John six ten through 14 Jesus performed a great miracle and fed five thousand people with two small fish and five loaves of bread. As soon as he'd finished feeding the people, he drew the disciples' attention to the fragments of bread and fish that were left over. Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost, he told them. But why? Why be concerned about the remaining nubs of food when he could have worked another miracle to create an even larger feast? I believe Jesus was revealing an aspect of the nature of God to us. God is organized, and he pays attention to small things. Many people lock their attention onto the big vision and forget that a big vision only comes to pass through faithfulness with small things. They neglect organization for the thrill of brainstorming and vision casting. God is able to make your ideas successful at this very minute, but you would not sustain that success without an effective system of administration, structure, management, and organization. Jesus knew this. That's why he sent the disciples out to gather everything that had been left over after the meal. Jesus was indicating that nothing is to be wasted. Even the way he managed the miracle in the first place shows us God's nature. When he wanted to feed the people, he told them to sit down in an orderly way. Without structure, management, and organization, no miracle will bear lasting fruit. God tells us something seemingly contradictory in Proverbs 13.23. Quote, much food is in the tillage of the poor, but there is, that is, destroyed for want of judgment. End quote. This seems like a contradiction. How can there be rich harvest and the person is still poor? The fact is, God gives a lot even to the poor. But people remain poor when they manage it poorly. 
Some people have amazing ideas and wonderful plans, but their lack of organization dooms their effectiveness. They never get past the idea stage. In the first year of our existence as a church, we had a financial problem. Our annual income was $2,000, but we needed $5,000 just to pay for the building we were renting. I cried out to God, asking Him to meet our need, and God answered, The problem is not that you haven't got any fat offerings. Rather, start being careful with every cent you have. Check your petty expenditure account and keep it under control. I became much stricter and more meticulous about how we spent our church money. That lesson prepared us for greater effectiveness. Some false religious organizations find success not through the truth of their message, but because of their organizational skills. I can think of several cults that manage their resources so effectively that they are growing faster than most denominations. There is a so-called church in Kiev that attracts mostly young people. This church denies some key biblical tenets, but it continues to grow because it has a well-thought-out organization. I was ignorant of the importance of organization when I first became a pastor. I thought that to be successful, I just had to have an anointing and a powerful word, and to know how to pray and preach well. I reckoned that if I had all that, I could be a successful minister. But now I know better. At least half of any organization's success comes from being well-organized. You won't be effective in any endeavor unless you also have a well-thought-out structure. At one point in the early life of our church, at least 30,000 people had made a decision for the Lord. But afterward, many of them went back into the world again. We blame this on the difficulties we had with finding a building that was large enough to accommodate our Sunday services. But I came to see that that wasn't the real reason. Our lack of organizational structure was to blame. It shattered me that 30,000 people had made decisions for the Lord in our church, and yet we had not been able to keep them. The deficiency was in me. When I discovered that I was unable to organize and lead the church properly, I called our pastors together and shared this problem with them. I started working to become a better manager by reading books about organization and management. I invited a businessman to our church council meeting to offer suggestions about organizing a system and creating structures. Since that time, we have become much more organized, and I believe that has been a key in our effectiveness. God cannot build on a sloppy structure. Your great ideas for advancing God's kingdom will flounder on the shores of disorganization unless you become a master manager of resources and people. If you have more inspiration than organization, do as I did. Seek out the knowledge in people who will help to make your ideas successful. The programs that have been most effective in the world have been led by organized people. Follow Jesus' example. Manage your miracles well. Let nothing be lost. Pay special attention to small things because they are the building blocks of bigger things. As I mentioned earlier, my study of sociology, anthropology, and psychology have taught me that every modern society can be divided into seven spheres of influence. Number one, spiritual, social. Two, government, politics. Three, business, economy. Four, education. Five, media. Six, culture, entertainment. Seven, sports. 
If we infiltrate all these spheres of influence and their hundreds of subdivisions, we will have brought the kingdom lifestyle to a whole nation. So in Ukraine, all our teaching and training in church are directed at helping every believer to identify and adopt a particular area of influence according to his or her passion until that sphere of life is totally permeated with the principles of the kingdom of God. The only reason they come to church is to be further imbued with the nature of God, so as to bring it to bear on their sphere of influence. They come to be trained in principles and values of the kingdom they will use to change their world from Monday to Friday. It's never too late to do your part in impacting your sphere of influence through the application of kingdom principles. The kingdom of God comes not primarily through preaching, which is just a means of training and preparation. The kingdom comes to others through your passion and gifting. Teach his principles, create models, and be organized. I can almost assure you that as you do, your effectiveness will increase a hundredfold and more. Kingdom Principles from Chapter 10 Number 1. Principles unite, but religiosity divides. It is far better to emphasize the integrity of God's kingdom principles and patterns rather than the spirituality of your particular Christian experience. Number 2. You can bring kingdom principles to the public sphere in a secular package and receive a far wider hearing. Number three, eventually kingdom principles will dethrone the kingdom of darkness like the mustard plant that crowds out other plants. Number four, by creating models for solving problems, you inspire others to do the same. Instead of bemoaning the state of our nation, we take responsibility, create programs, register organizations, and start a movement. Number five, when believers occupy every sphere of life, the government can't do much. By promoting kingdom principles, we also keep our foot in the door of power, lest the door close. Number six, God is organized and he pays attention to small things. Without structure, management, and organization, no miracle will bear lasting fruit. The programs that have been most effective in the world have been led by organized people. Number seven, the kingdom comes to others through your passion and gifting. Chapter 11, when to stop praying. I am a firm believer in praying and in not praying. The first part of this chapter is about knowing when to pray. The second is about knowing when not to pray. You must learn both skills to be effective in your promised land. If there is anything I could choose to be a hallmark of my life, it is prayer. It was said about Jesus that he prayed a lot. I, too, have endeavored to live my life through prayer. I have disciplined myself at times to spend weeks in prayer interrupted only by sleep. Those times have changed my life. They are spent absorbing his presence, his glory, and his strength. I have never prayed for the sake of praying. I have prayed because I want to be with God, to get to know Him, and then to radiate His glory. To me, this is the point of my life. Everything else seems to me like a hobby. Action without prayer is foolish. Even if your intentions are good, even if you are trying to build God's kingdom, you cannot succeed without prayer. Prayer is not merely a habit, but a way of life. We can commune constantly with God. Learn to lay your soul bare before God. Learn to humble yourself before Him in prayer. Learn to admit your weaknesses, your mistakes in His presence. 
Put your trust in him. He is your hope, your source, your life. All else could fail, but having him, you have everything. Let him know that you are trusting completely in him. Fast so as to humble your flesh. Learn also to wait on the Lord. It's important not just to storm the heavens with your prayers, but to rest in God and to be guided by his assessment of the situation, relying on him in everything. God always gives grace to the person who humbles himself before him and who sets his hopes on him. No matter what defeats that person may suffer, God makes it possible for him to spread his wings and mount up to new heights. God will equip him supernaturally and show him how to remain standing even when others fall. As the prophet wrote, quote, Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. End quote. Isaiah 40, 30, and 31. Receive Revelation. In prayer, you learn who God is and what he wants you to do. Jesus said, quote, by myself I can do nothing, end quote, John 5, 30. With these words, he reaffirmed his humility and total dependence on his Father. And God the Father, seeing this gesture of humility, gave further grace to the Son. The revelations you receive are like foundation stones upon which you can build your life, family, and calling according to God's plan. The revelations you receive in prayer will unveil the prototype or picture of what you should do next. If you put these revelations into action according to his model, you will walk a well-trodden pathway and not just go around in circles. In some ways, I have grown to be an observer in my church. In times of prayer and throughout the day, I simply observe what the Father does, and I observe those around me to be sure they are carrying it out according to the revelation God gives us. Some pastors claim that it's difficult to be a pastor of a large congregation, but it isn't that difficult for me. It's a light burden, almost like being on vacation. Prayer makes it so. If you receive a word of revelation and have an understanding of what God is wanting to build and the unique way in which he is going to bring what he has in mind to pass, if you take the steps he is expecting you to take, then your life and calling become light. You will find pleasure and great delight in them. It's no longer you who is building, but God. He goes before you, accomplishing the things he has called and appointed you for. You have only to be an obedient doer of his will. The things you build in the here and now will have already been built in heaven, and you will simply be establishing them. I can say without exception that every major decision or advance in my life has come following sustained times of prayer. For example, I prayed a lot before I got married. Six whole years passed and still nothing changed in my life. One day, however, I prayed and heard, as it were, in a dream, write down what you need. I quickly wrote down the things I desired and was turning over in my mind concerning the kind of wife I wanted. I wrote down ten points and realized that this was the Spirit of God moving me to write these things. They were things He wanted to give me. He allowed me to perceive the prototype He had prepared for me. As I wrote down these ten points, I realized that these would help me know my future wife from thousands of other women. I would know which one she was because God had given me a portrait 
of her personality. Within a year, I found the unique person that God had destined to be my wife. She met all ten points God had given me. Then stop praying. Sometimes people pray without ever taking action. There is a time to leave the prayer room and carry out the plans God has revealed to you. For too many years, some Christians have concentrated on prayer only. They believe that God will supernaturally accomplish what they are asking for. But the Word of God says that faith without works is useless and dead, according to James 2.17. The kingdom does not advance on prayer alone, but on prayer-inspired actions. You will recall that when our church was needing a permanent place to meet, we prayed for a year and God was silent. That silence bothered me terribly. I couldn't understand why we had prayed and God hadn't done anything. I was still expecting God to do everything for us. I wasn't putting my faith into action. Finally, God had mercy on me and told me that prayer doesn't do anything by itself. No matter how much you pray, it's not in my hands. God spoke to my heart. The solution is in your hands. I have given you the opportunity. The people of the world don't understand prayer. They understand the language of force. Prayer is for me, and this is not my situation. It is within your scope of influence to change it. You are on the earth. You have the people and the power. Use your power. It was time for us to quit praying, and we did. Our actions led to a favorable resolution to our problem and eventually led to a change in the entire nation. But many people still cling to old ways. They are almost idolatrous of prayer. The other day I was listening to an interview with Christian leaders in Nigeria. They were asked why the country was not well developed even though it has many Christians. The leaders said, we need to pray more. Can you imagine? Nigeria is one of the most prayerful countries on the planet. They pray constantly. But countries don't develop by prayer, but by prayer paired with actions. It reminds me of the time God told Moses, Get up. What are you doing on your face? Take action. See Exodus 14.15. Praying and interceding are critical, but they are only half of the equation. Why is God silent in your life? Perhaps because he is waiting for you to act. In that chilling silence, perhaps you will learn to take action with the power you already have. Timid Warriors Many church-minded Christians are timid and passive but think they're being humble. They devote themselves to prayer, but they are really just avoiding the battle. People hide in the prayer closet as Saul hid in the luggage on his coronation day, or Gideon hid in the wine press. Many are afraid of the consequences of taking risks. They don't want to feel pain. This fear, like all fear, is rooted in egocentrism. When you are not dead to yourself, you fear the consequences of failure. Egocentrism masquerades as humility and practical thinking. But it's focused on yourself and what causes you pain. That's called serving your own comfort. You are not looking out for the kingdom interests, but your own. True humility goes where God leads, regardless of the consequences. It recognizes that we are dead to ourselves but alive in Christ. We don't live our own lives anymore. We were headed for hell when he rescued us. So we don't call the shots anymore. He does. His will is our command, no matter if it brings us life or death. I'm convinced that 75% of our prayers are a waste of time. 
Either we are praying for something God has already said yes to, or we are praying for something he told us to do. We are waiting on God while he is waiting on us. I often hear people say they are expecting a miracle and waiting on God for the answer. Waiting on God is good to a point. Then it's time to stop expecting miracles and start taking action on the revelation we have received thus far. If you are a timid warrior, you will not take the land God has for you. Your position in society will shrink and the kingdom of God will lose territory because of you. You may be a giant in the prayer closet, but a pipsqueak on the battlefield. Stop escaping into prayer. Be a prayer warrior, but not a prayer hermit. The kingdom belongs to doers, not hearers. You can hear God speak all you want, but if you don't do anything, the kingdom does not rightly belong to you. The developing world is a great example of this. In many third world countries, Christians have succeeded in getting people saved and into the church. There, people dance and worship and pray before God, but those same countries lack kingdom principles in the government, businesses, and social structure of the nation. Some countries are full of faithful believers living in poverty. Nothing changes for the better. The world of the Christians never collides with the world around them. On the other hand, some non-believing countries are wealthy, well-organized, and just, but no longer acknowledge the Lord. It's time to bloody our swords, metaphorically speaking. The prophet said, quote, Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from blood. End quote. Jeremiah 48, 10. Every calling requires dedication. Unless you dedicate yourself to your calling, you will not go far. I know many gifted people who have been called by God, but without dedication they soon fizzle out. God absolutely loathes it when a person has a non-committal attitude toward his work. If a person is frivolous toward God's work, he puts himself under a curse, as it says above. The word deceitfully there means literally slack negligently. This is serious business. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Cursed is everyone who does the work of the Lord negligently. If you have not been conscientious in your work for God, repent and take a different attitude towards your calling. If you expect everything to work itself out and think you can just sit back and rest, I can guarantee you will soon have plenty of difficulties. Do not expect a harvest if you haven't sown anything. There are times when you must pull out your sword to carry out your calling. Not everything is attained easily. The kingdom of God advances by violence. Christians are made strong by the word of God, but many attain absolutely nothing because they are not willing to fight. God didn't tell Joshua to defeat his enemies with prayer alone. He said, quote, be strong and courageous, end quote. And then he sent them into the battle, Joshua 10.25. When we keep back the sword from blood, it turns on us and destroys us. We have to know how to fight and advance the kingdom. When the devil tells you no, you have to be able to tell him yes. When everyone around you says impossible, you have to be in a position to say it is possible. By faith, it will surely come to pass. One of the most powerful words in the Great Commission is the word go, Matthew 28, 18-20. Go is also the most neglected word in the church today. Churches try to bring in as many members as possible to sit and listen to our beautiful rhetoric week in and week out. 
This is the direct opposite of Christ's instruction to us, which is to get people saved, train them, and release them to change the world they came from. That is why in our church, I always tell my members that my job and my dream is to chase them out of their pews to the harvest field of the world where they all belong. One of the most important duties as a pastor is to just get people to go. You have been given your promised land so that you can fight and take it victoriously. If you have a calling from the Lord and do nothing to fulfill it, you are on the verge of being ruined. It is not your work, but God's. He has entrusted you with it. You are called to battle. There is no need to keep back your sword from blood. There is a time for you to pray and a time for you to fight. If you have been working with too little for too long, then you probably haven't been faithful. You need to exit the prayer closet and step onto the battlefield. By definition, if you are faithful with little, you will graduate to much. Nobody is supposed to muddle around with little things his whole life. You were made for bigness. Until you have done everything you can think of or imagine, God won't swing into action on your behalf. He gave you a mind so you can think great thoughts and an imagination so you can imagine what could be. Until you use these God-given tools, don't expect Him to intervene. You must be faithful with what's within your capabilities before you can expect a miracle. When you have pulled out your sword, gone into battle, and put actions to the revelations you received in prayer, then you can expect God to do more than you could think or imagine. Learn to be a man or woman of prayer, then learn when to stop praying. The results will be powerful. Kingdom Principles from Chapter 11 Number 1. I have prayed because I want to be with God, to get to know Him, and then to radiate His glory. Number 2. Action without prayer is foolish. Number 3. The revelations you received are like foundation stones upon which you can build your life, family, and calling according to God's plan. Number four, the kingdom does not advance on prayer alone, but on prayer-inspired actions. Countries don't develop, but by prayer paired with actions. Number five, when you are not dead to yourself, you fear the consequences of failure. Number six, true humility goes where God leads, regardless of the consequences. His will is our command, no matter if it brings us life or death. Number seven, The kingdom belongs to doers, not hearers. One of my most important duties as a pastor is to just get people to go. There is a time for you to pray and a time for you to fight.